Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, and I am very, very excited as I am every week to bring on another fabulous guest. I love Dusty. She's just such a dynamic and wonderful, creative ball of energy. And she's working with children, which is a big, big thing for me. And I think it's important that we uh, not only work for our own careers and things and the careers of our friends and people that we uh, enjoy or believe in and want to share, but to build the future. And uh, people like Dusty are out there helping to shape the next generation of artists which uh, I just love. And she's just such a fun and wonderful person. I've had the pleasure of knowing her for a while. And um, like every every communication we have just makes me smile. So I'm sure that her interview will make you smile as well. So this is episode 88. Holy crap, 88. And uh, getting close to the 100th mark. And I have a big surprise coming for you guys at episode 100. I am so excited to be doing this interview. Uh, but we'll get to that when we get to episode 100, which is not that far away, especially the way that special episodes seem to be uh, piling up. So the numbers can at times add up more than the typical once a week show that I do. And uh, I've got a couple special episodes that um, I'm working on scheduling right now. So we'll be getting to uh, episode 100 very soon. In the meantime, I'll have 12 other one or 11 other wonderful guests on the show as well. Uh, so this is the last new episode of the year. For Christmas, I will be re-airing the Mental Sauna 3 Christmas Inflections episode, uh, and you're welcome to play that. I also still have a few copies of the album left, so if you go to my website at www.scotthaskin.com, you can purchase a copy of the CD, and I will send that to you. I will send it to your friends, whoever you purchased it for, and uh, half of the money of the purchase goes to Diana Davis's group, Movies Making a Difference. And I've talked about them on the show before. You can see them in the show link and uh, and see what they're all about. So that's pretty much it. Uh, let's go ahead and bring Dusty on the show. Thank you guys so much for hanging in there. All these episodes, I've uh, been getting a lot of new listeners and the numbers have been increasing. So that makes me very, very happy. And uh, there's there's still many, many more great things to come on our journey to the Magic 300. Talk to you guys later. Let's now talk to Dusty. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring my guest this week to the show. She is just a lovely, lovely person, very talented, very passionate, and I'm very, very grateful that she was able to carve some time out and be on the show. Let's welcome Dusty to the show. Dusty, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Scott? I'm doing great. Thank you. You uh, used to live here in Vegas, and now you're in Texas. How are you liking it down there? Yes, I love it. I enjoy the weather and the people. And although I, I did enjoy being in Vegas while I was there with dancing and um, the opportunities there, it's it's nice to be around family again. Oh, sure. Yeah. And you were part, when you lived here, you were part of Anastasia's Magical Madness Dance Theater. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It feels like so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does. Yeah. I, I mean, we, that's how we met, which was shortly before you left. Um, but I could tell when I met you that you were very passionate about the art and that you really had a, a genuine love for it. And I, I really admired that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You, you were at the movie premiere, right? That's right. Yeah. For the hunger games uh, parody that you guys did. Right. Yes. Oh my goodness. So 
a little side note on that. Anastasia and I, I'll never forget this. We were at her dining room table for hours and hours filling out paperwork to get the 501c3 status and the nonprofit status for Magical Madness. And it it was a process, but we finally got it done. And um, it was just so exciting. So it all kind of came together at the same time, the premiere and the 501c3. And uh, it was just really great. It was definitely a, a very wonderful celebration when you guys premiered it. And I remember just being blown away by the quality of it, especially the detail in the Capitol scene, uh, the choreography, the, the atmosphere. Uh, it was just incredible. Yeah, yeah. Anastasia is very talented and, and the whole core dancers, you know, they're all they've been dancing together for a long time. And you can tell because of the way that they communicate through dance and um, the way it comes across on the film. I think it really shows their their connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and congratulations, too, on the 501C uh, status, because that is not an easy thing to do. It seems like an easy thing because it's because so many people have done it, but it's a lot of work and you can go through all that work and they just go, eh, no. <laughs> right. And that's always in the back of your mind, you know, when you're going through the whole process and you're wondering, oh, you know, am I answering this correctly or um, but they had a really great um, um, professor from LV, Las Vegas um, University. Oh, yeah, UNLV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, and he helped us through the whole process, and they actually did it as a class project. Oh, really? Um, yes, it was so interesting. Um, it took a little bit longer than normal to uh, get everything accomplished because they were doing it in a classroom setting. Right. Um, But it was also nice for us too, because it gave us more time to prepare and get things together. Uh, But yeah, it was, it was a little bit um, untraditional, but (laughs) it worked out. No, but that's genius. I mean, not only do you not have to do all the work, but you've got somebody that's supervising it. That's going to make sure it's right before it goes out. And you're teaching other people how to go through that process at the same time. I mean, that's just the ultimate win-win. Well, yeah. And there were a lot of people and organizations that applied to be the company that they chose to do. We had to go through a process just to even be chosen as um, they could only do so many. Right. Right. Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, that alone, um, we were pretty proud that they chose us. And and I think that had a lot to do with Anastasia. Oh, sure. Yeah. She's just such a personality. How can you not 10 seconds (laughs) into meeting her? How can you not just want to do everything you can to help her out with whatever she's got going on? And she's always got a lot going on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I can't believe it's been, it's got to be close to a year. I think it was last December. Maybe it was January when I had her on the show. I'll have to check, but what, what a great conversation I had with her. And how did you guys connect? So uh, when I moved out to Las Vegas, um, I worked for a a studio there in uh, Summerlin, Mm -hmm. and um, she was teaching dance there, and so we met, and we just kind of hit it off, and we had a lot of the same passions, and um, I think our personalities are very similar. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And so um, we just formed a friendship, and 
um, she knew that I had owned a dance studio previously. And so she had a lot of questions. Uh, I had a performance company um, as well. And, and so she wanted to know, how did you do this? And, and you know, I, so I, I told her I'd do whatever I could to help her. And uh, she took me in and I I helped her. And it was just a great partnership. Um, I, I feel like we work really well together. And um, but those, those are great times. And um, I, I, I that's the thing about dance is it really does connect people. And you meet people and, and may only be for a few years that you're together or even a few performances, but, you know, you always have that connection and, and that um, appreciation for the other person. I could still, I could see that. And I think that one of the things it, it, I don't understand that much about dance, which is one of the reasons I, I really want to talk to you, but I, there's seems to be a certain unity within a dance group that you really don't quite get in anything else. It's not the same as if you were working together on a movie or even in a band together, because you have to really, really be exactly on the same page at all times. Well, um, there is a uh, sociologist and his name's uh, Ray Oldenburg. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. I have not. Um, He has this really interesting concept and it's what I really tried uh, when I had the dance studio and I had Adagio Dance Academy. I tried so hard to make it a third place. And that's what his concept is about. So it explains um, how people find community outside of their own home or their school or their work. Um, and how in- that is such an important part of their um of their development and um, having a place where they can be accepted and not judged and to be free to fail, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, I think um, that that is, that's where that connection happens. And I think that's where those relationships, I mean, I'm still friends with girls that I danced with when I was four years old. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So it, it is like a, a second family and, it, it really is a uh, like a second home. Well, it seems to me that in the movies, I think dance studios are are often poorly represented. I mean, they seem to be very cutthroat, and you have to be perfect. And I'm going to, you know, smack my cane against the floor if you do something wrong, and uh, I'm going to belittle you until you're perfect. But what's the reality of a dance studio? <laughs> um. So. There are many realities and it really depends on there. There really is no um, standardization among studios. You know, we may use a certain syllabus or um, teach a specific um, um, technique, for instance, but it really boils down to the teacher who is in there with the students. And, you know, I, I, I kind of laugh at your comment, not um, in a negative way, but in it, it, it's so true. Uh, I, am I allowed to say the name of the TV show? Oh, that sure. I, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dance Moms, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, when that started to air, I, 
my parents coming into my dance studio, their personalities actually changed. And I'm thinking, oh, no, they're watching the show. (laughs) They think that this is a real life. And it's really not, you know. Um, and And I think that that's a big misconception by a lot of people. Uh, it's entertainment. What's on TV is entertainment. What's in the movies, you know, unless it's meant to be real life, you know, based on a true story. Right. And, and I, people fail to see that, you know, it's, it's a little maddening because I think as dancers and artists, we have to kind of pay for that in a way. Um, you know, when, when people are like, Oh, you teach dance. Oh, I bet you are just, you know, and yeah, I'm hardcore and I'm going to, make corrections and physical changes to the student, but I, you know, I'm not going to hit them with a stick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but are there places that are really do get that intense? I would imagine in maybe yes. some of the conservatories and things. Yes. And you know, I danced, um, <laughs> my old teacher, um, was from the ballet, uh, Royal ballet of China. Um, and she was, we would be hit. She had a little stick and she would hit us to make corrections. Not like you're doing it to inflict pain, mm-hmm. but you know, when the teacher is walking around, it's kind of like they can touch you without touching you. Right. You know, because the physical correction has to happen for a student to understand. I can understand that. But, but there's a, you know, especially in ballet where your, your center of gravity is everything, but does it, I mean, I, I, I guess it's really about the style of the teacher, but it just seems like it doesn't, it should be more supportive and encouraging than, than something like you're going to do this because I'm going to put the fear of God into you. Well, you know, yeah. And that's a good point that it, there's a fine line and every student is different. You know, um, they would always, if I gave a compliment in, in one of my ballet classes, for instance, they're like, Oh, she really means that, you know? Mm-hmm because they're not given out freely. They're not like, Oh, you know, everybody's doing great. Well, I, I would hope that if I went to like a piano lesson or a guitar lesson and I was completely playing all the wrong notes and the teacher was like, Oh, you know, that's just great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of the same thing with dance. I, if I'm paying for my child's dance education, I, I you know, I want them to know what proper technique and, how to spell it's all French. So I, you know, I want them to understand the language. And right. so, yeah, I think as a teacher, you're always walking that fine line, you know, how, how stringent do I need to be? But each student is different. So I think you have to kind of tailor it. Uh, you don't want, I, I've, you know, it's really sad. I've had kids walk out of class in tears. You know, and I'm like, oh, you know, are you okay? What's what's going on? And they're like, oh, you know, I, I couldn't do three pirouettes. And it's, it's gut-wrenching, um, you know, because I, I want them to feel empowered and positive. And, um, but sometimes kids deal differently with different things. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a dance for sure, trying to figure out, you know, how tough to be. Right. Well, and, and I can appreciate a child that really wants to push themselves to excel. And, you know, they take so much pride in what they're doing that they they start turning that against themselves when they're not able to perform to the potential that they expect. 
But that's got to be so hard. Like, I can't watch MasterChef Junior anymore because it's just too gut-wrenching to me when those kids get kicked off. I don't know how you do that when you're interacting with these kids that are putting those kind of pressures on themselves. Well, you know, we have auditions regularly at the studio Mm -hmm. um, for our end-of-year performance every year. And it really is a learning moment. And, and I think that they mature at a much younger age than a lot of other kids because they learn how to fail. They learn how to succeed. They learn how to fall and then get right back up again and try again. And I think you see that maturity and, you know, the scientific test results are out that dancers um, make better grades. Um, they're a little more successful because they're great problem solvers. In those moments, it's, it is hard to watch, you know, but at the same time, they're being, they're being molded and, and learning and that's, it's, it's tough. It's tough, but, um, I think I would rather have them doing that in a safe atmosphere, like a dance studio, than maybe learning those hard lessons where they don't have the support. Well, that's an excellent point. Uh, and, and there is a certain understandable element, though, to pushing to a certain degree, because if you don't start and really focus, you're, you're going to find it a much bigger uphill battle to be really, really good at those ages that you really kind of need to be getting involved in, in you know, more uh, performance in that if, if you, you know, it's harder to start earlier or later in life. So I can kind of understand it, but it's it's got to be such a delicate balance with each individual child of how hard to push them and how how much to say, no, it's okay. And, you know, at some point, like you've got to move forward if you're going to have a career in this. Right. And and those are conversations, too, that need to happen between the um, either the studio owner and the parent or the teacher and the parent. You know, what is the intention of you coming to class, if it's to become a pre-professional ballerina, then, you know, they can be in the more serious pre-professional program and they're going to get pushed a lot harder. And then you do have your students that just want to take it for fun, which is totally fine. Sure. And then they, they can just be in the recreational classes and the teachers don't necessarily press as hard. Right. And I would imagine the health benefits to, to dance are just immeasurable. Oh, <laughs> yes. I mean, the core strength, um, you know, that's the foundation of the entire body. And just the sheer, you know, when you get out and do a performance and you think, oh, they just danced for 20 minutes. That's not that much. Well, <laughs> when you're on point and you're holding your center for 20 minutes straight and you're trying to project to the audience and, uh, you know, they build the, so much stamina. It's amazing. Oh, sure. And I imagine you've you've worked well on muscles that I don't even know I have. <laughs> yeah, well, it takes a lot of um, self-care for dancers because sure. it is so hard on their bodies. Oh, absolutely. It's certainly something that's understandable. I mean, when I think back to when I was doing martial arts, uh, it's about as close as I can come to that. And it's, it's very true. I mean, just learning how to stand in one place and kick properly using the right muscles so that you get the right amount of force, but you keep your balance. I mean, that's like a, the, the most minimal thing a dancer has to deal with. Right. And, um, there's a lot of overstretching going on right now, um, in a lot of the dance studios and, um, 
dancers are being pushed more and more. Um, and I, and I think it's gotten to a point of where it's actually dangerous. And so that's a concern because, um, I don't know if a lot of people realize, but muscles don't stretch. Really? Right. So when people say, oh, you know, make sure you stretch, mm-hmm. stretch out before you, well, you're not, the muscle is not actually stretching. <laughs> is it the, the veins and, ar- and arteries? So it's actually, muscles, muscles will lengthen, but they don't stretch. Okay. So, and that may be just a language thing, but if you think about it physically, if you stretch something out, then you think it's going to stay, right? Mm, maybe. But if you lengthen the muscle, it's a little bit different. So I, I think when you know parents say, oh, my, my 10-year-old cannot do the split. And in order to get on to this competition team, they have to do split, right? Mm-hmm. So then you're like, okay. And every teacher will tell them, well, you need to stretch your muscles. So they go into this overstretch where they go above their hip socket and they're, they're overstretching and it's pretty dangerous because they can pull something. Um, it's just not necessary, right? but to lengthen the muscle and to really develop the muscle the way that, um, they should naturally, that is going to get them to the same place just in a more safe way. And I, I see kids posting on Instagram and doing these crazy stunts on YouTube. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, you know, the lifelong effects of that are just unbearable in my mind because I'm thinking when you're 50, you're, you know, you're really going to be feeling that. <laughs> oh, so, sure. But you know, when, when you're a child, you're infallible, right? You can take on the world. And that's why I suffer with knee pain every day now, because I was, I, nothing could hurt me. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think there is a, a certain amount of responsibility we have to take as instructors and, mm-hmm. and studio owners and make sure that these kids are stretching properly and not overstretching and um, that they learn the anatomy of the body and, and the muscles. We actually took um, our intermediate ballet class and they bought some cheap white pantyhose, really thick pantyhose. And then we brought Sharpie markers into class and we drew all the muscle groups on those tights and they wore them for all year. And they would, you know, if we say turn out from your hips, they knew exactly where their hip flexors were and what muscles to operate to get their body to do that. So, oh, okay. you know, so you're really, you're really showing them the, the anatomy and connecting it with their own body. Cause you could just look at an anatomy chart and go, okay, well that's where this muscle is and that's where that organ is. But when you really place an exact location on your body, you can really learn to pay attention to what it's doing more. Yeah, Exactly. It's, it's a good preventative measure. Is it true that if you're if you're a child, before your muscles really start to sort of, uh, and I don't know if this is the proper terminology now, you've got me thinking about this, uh, before your muscles start to tighten up and you, like a child can pretty much bend themselves almost into a pretzel. And then as you get older, it gets harder and harder to do that. If you are very active or if you're doing the lengthening from the time that you're young, 
is it possible that your muscles just don't ever get that uh, tight that you have to lengthen them? I don't know if well, I'm phrasing that right now. That's okay. I, I think I understand what you're saying. So every so I, I had a student. Um, she was never able to get a split, but she was super flexible um, in an arabesque position, which is leg off the floor, um, completely horizontal, and standing with the chest up to the air. Okay. To the sky. Okay. That was completely possible for her. And a lot of, but we just, she just never could have that flexibility. Wow. And, and so, yeah, it's really, it's really individualized. You know, um, what everybody, you're born with a certain flexibility Mm -hmm. and then you can, obviously work on it from there but everybody has a certain amount of flexibility i don't know if that answers your question (laughs) well it 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 does but let me rephrase it maybe a little bit because i think flexibility was the word i was really looking for so as an adult or as we grow older if we're not um taking care of our muscles properly then they do start to uh tighten up i guess would be the right word and we aren't as flexible but if you if you work on that from the time that you're a child, is it possible that they don't ever tighten up? Like if you just do your routines every day, can you prevent that from ever happening? I mean, I realize that everyone's different and there's always people that that's going to happen to. Um, yes. I mean, if you work on it every day, you can maintain your flexibility. Um, as we get older, our muscles start to shrink. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you also have to do muscle conditioning. Um, as well, not just your flexibility in order to keep that. Well, that makes sense. Cause that, that's, that's, I think one of those rumors that I had always heard, uh, is if you, if you always stretch, you know, from the time that you're a child, your muscles will never tighten up. And I thought, I don't think that's right. I, I think that at some point age is going to start playing a factor and they're going to start tightening up even if you're, you're stretching every day. Right. And I mean, I, Finus Jung, he is, um, a, dance instructor in New York and I've taken several of his classes and absolutely adore him. He's wonderful, but he's in his eighties and he's still teaching dance and he actually demonstrates at the front of the room. So he's got incredible strength and flexibility, but Mm. it's because he does it every day. Right. Well, I think for, for a lot of people, especially the, you know, the performers that are really in the limelight as, as well as the aspiring performers, it's not a job. It's not something that you do. It is your life. Right. Right. Exactly. And you've been doing this since you were what, four? Four. Mm-hmm. Four. What was the initial attraction for you? How did you know that it was something that you wanted to pursue? Um, I think I knew when I was about eight. And I've always had this feeling inside of me, like, um, if I didn't dance, I was going to explode. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I, I used to just drive my parents crazy because I couldn't wait to go to the grocery store and, um, hang on to the grocery cart and tap dance down the aisles, you know, and I'd always hide my little tap shoes in my Barbie backpack and take it with me. And my mom would be like, oh, here she goes again. You know? Right. Oh, I love it. 
So, I, yeah, I mean, it's just a real, it I goes beyond passion. I think it, it's more of a calling and uh, it's a gift. And um, I just, that's what's important to me is it saved me so many times, especially when I was younger. And so if I can pass that on and give that gift that my dance teacher gave to me, um, you know, that's, that's really, I think, what it's about. I have to wonder, too, people that aren't um, artistically inclined, and I, I do believe that everybody has some element, whether they've recognized it or, or not, um, because I hear so many people say things like, I'm not creative, and then they'll do this wonderful you know, thing for their kids where I'm like, I would have never come up with that. But I wonder how many people that don't have art in their life really understand how art can save them during tough times, during depressed times, during uh, flustered times. Like, like art really is so much more than just a presentation of entertainment. Oh, yes, absolutely. And um, I can speak to that on so many different levels just because um, I, I got a note from one of my students at the end of our uh dance year and it was her senior year um and I hated this year ago because she was just stunning I mean the most beautiful dancer ever and oh just a beautiful person inside and out and I nearly collapsed when I read her letter I was just so overcome with um emotion and I just I couldn't believe it and she wrote me a note um, and thanked me for everything that the studio had provided for her. But apparently she had plans to end her own life at the end of the year wow. because she didn't think she had a future. Yeah. She, she had planned on finishing her senior year and then, um, and, and ending her life. And she said that uh, she had been at our studio for two years mm -hmm. and she said that, that was that showed her that she had so much more potential and that there was more out there for her. And I mean, the letter just went on and on. And I still to this day, I keep that letter with me all the time. Yeah, because that's not just a letter that that is going to have an impact in the moment that you read it or you feel her appreciation in that moment. But that's something that, you know, any time that you need a reminder of the importance of the work that you do and how what you do affects others. And then seeing those people work uh, will please an audience and affect them. I mean, that's something that's with you for the rest of your life. That's not a, Hey, I wrote you a letter kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think if everybody could extend, you know, their best to whoever they're with, whether it be through dance or music or whatever the art is, um, there's real, therapy there's real healing there's real um things that you don't get anymore you know i feel bad i see kids all the time on their um phones and their ipads and stuff and you know i'm guilty of it myself every once in a while but there's so much more out there and and i i really hope i, I feel like you know at our studio the rule is no cell phones period they're not allowed. They, we have a little thing at the door where they had a slot with their name on it. They put their phone in there and, and that's it. And, right. you know, for the hour or two that they're there, they're unplugged. 
and they would actually be like, oh, it's so nice not to have my phone. Well, because if you have it, you're going to use it. There's there's not a lot of, uh, yeah, I just keep it in my pocket and I, you know, just pull it out when I need something. It's, uh, I haven't checked Facebook in five minutes. I wonder what's going on. <laughs> right. And so I think, um, you know, that's also very healing to be in that, be in the moment and learn to, to focus and, and have your attention on yourself and something that you're accomplishing. I just think there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, I, I think, and I'm certainly guilty of it too. I'm not going to uh, to say I'm not, but because I am, am very engaged uh, in social media as much as I don't care for social media. But I the the one day that I have to say is is my I really don't do this. I just really post and then shut the phone off. Is when I have my one day that I go to the beach and I really just try to soak in the the uh, you know the salty air and the sound of the birds and the wind and. The, the waves. And really, I, I think, why don't I do this kind of thing more often, even at local parks? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for us to appreciate what we have around us, but you know, it's not always easy, but I, I have to ask you, did you feel pressured to start social media when you were, you know, working on your podcasts and, and your, your books and the things I, the reason I ask is I, I didn't have a social media account until I started our dance studio. And even then I did not want to do it, but it was almost absolutely necessary if we wanted to be successful. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. I think it was because uh, when I was just doing music before I started uh, working on books and that and, and well before the podcast, I mean, I started my social media back on uh, MySpace when MySpace was actually popular. And, uh, I remember somebody suggested that I get on Facebook when Facebook was new and I tried it and I didn't like it. And I only got back on it because somebody wanted to play uh, Scrabble with me. And so, uh, I started back on it. And then as MySpace started to, uh, make me less and less happy the way that it was being changed, then I really moved over to Facebook. But yeah, I think if it wasn't for having a business that, uh, I can have immediate global exposure with. Uh, I don't think that I would really be on it very much. I think I would have an account to keep in touch with a handful of people just because it's one centralized location, but I wouldn't be posting very much at all. Um, I would just get on and check every now and then, or if I saw that I got a message, it would be a very, uh, a much more minimal part of my life, I think, than it is. Sure. I mean, it's definitely a handy tool and it is great to have everything in one place and I, I completely understand. <laughs> it is, but it's also easy, especially if you're if you're someone like me who does not have a lot of social interaction anyway, because I am, am mostly locked away working on projects, that it's kind of one of those things where every once in a while I'm like, um, I wonder what people are doing. Um, I'm just going to check. And then the next thing you know, you're like refreshing every time you get through your newsfeed. And you're like, okay, well, what's happened since then, though? That was like four minutes ago. And and you're like, okay, this is my life now. No, I need to get back to my project. <laughs> you know. Right. And before you before you know it, you're you're watching uh videos of baby goats and puppies. You know? Oh yeah. I, what was the one I saw yesterday? It was a it, I've never seen a cow this active. It was a cow that was pushing a bale of hay or something across a field. And I thought, when have I ever seen a cow do anything beyond just standing there? And and then I became kind of obsessed with it for like two or three minutes. And I looked down I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it's such an easy rabbit hole to get to because if you're not if you don't expose yourself to different things then you have then everything becomes so fascinating like oh, i didn't know cows could do that and it's it's easy to get swept up in it but i then i don't get anything done right right yeah yeah the time flies by definitely it does. And I'm all about productivity. Like that is the only thing that I value at this point. I mean, I, I value my friends and, and certain things, but uh, for the most part, like as far as my own actions, I value productivity. So if I'm sitting there watching a video of a cow pushing a bale of hay across the field, I'm not writing anything. And that cow, I'm sorry, you're great, but you're not going to inspire me to write anything different. So I need to get back to work and not get caught up in all the videos. Yeah, you just need to go find a field with cows in them and then be motivated, you know, inspired by that, right? <laughs> I'm like, sure it's, yeah. Well, I live in Vegas, so I'm sure at some point we'll just put that on as a, as a production. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, because I, I, I would imagine, uh, I've spent very, very little time in dance studios, but I would imagine that especially the younger the kids are, it's very easy to get them to work together and help support each other or help learn uh, routines and choreography together. Does that seem to be the case or, or am I, is my perception off? Um, in the classroom? Yes. Once you're on stage, no. Oh. Once you're on stage, they like to, um, you know, do whatever it is that they want to do, like wave to their parents or, <laughs> you know, hang from the rafters, <laughs> you know, um, but in the studio, yes, they really, um, they like to help one another and they love learning choreography and, um, yeah, they, they light up and come alive and just really, I think they enjoy that interaction and that energy in the studio. And then you get, um, like teenager years, uh, 12 and 13, I think is when I, 12 is probably when I really start noticing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you're not so cool you know, Miss Dusty anymore. It's, oh, Miss Dusty's making me do this. So, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, as, as you get into puberty and you think that you're infallible and that you know everything, yeah, then no one else can teach you. <laughs> right. So we, we kind of, it's a double-edged sword, really. Uh, you know, having teenagers in the studio is great because it gives the younger students something to look forward to and they're like oh look what they can do if I work really hard you know we'll purposefully have older students come into the younger classes and demonstrate so that they can see what they're working towards and it's not just you know going into a circle and pointing your toes there's a reason for the madness well and I would imagine too that being in the room with them would be a, a bit more inspirational because you, you can see it, you're up close, you see that they're real people as opposed to going to a production and seeing them do something. I think the production would be ex inspiring because you want to be on that stage, but I think you would get more out of that sort of one-on-one -on -one contact as, as far as being inspired and seeing what you can do for yourself. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the kids, as they get older, um, you know, and they've been in the studio for a few years and you watch them progress and um, they they get better and they understand music and terminology. And it's almost like overnight. It's just really weird. It's just like a light switch went off and then they get it. And then they start, you know, performing and wanting to be in. Uh, the performance companies and, and doing other things. And then they start 
I think it gives them the confidence when they go to school, if something comes up, you know, if they want to do a play or a musical or something like that, they have the confidence to be able to do that. And it, it all starts when they're young, when they're, when they're little. So. Well, it's creating that, that mindset of I can do this and I want to do this and I'm willing to work hard and give up other things to do it, I think would be very important because as much as we want to let kids be kids, if you really want to hit that level of success, like we said earlier, there is a certain element of you, you have to work towards it. And if you start doing it now, you can get there. If you start doing it later, you might've really missed your opportunity. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, dedication and, uh, giving up things. I mean, I don't know if people really truly realize unless you're an artist or a dancer, you know, what these kids give up and, you know, we, we had students that would stay at our studio three, four nights a week, and that's after school. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're, they're, their friends are the people in the dance studio. Their friends are, um, those social interactions are pretty much what their rule, their entire world is. And I, you have to have that mindset you know, we have students that have had major success that have gone on to do movie roles or commercials. And those are the kids that are in the studio working vigorously. And if they really want it, I don't think they see it as sacrifice. It, I think it looks like that to just about everybody else. But I think for them, it's, it's kind of like that calling, like, I have to do this. Right. And I don't think they, I don't think they would unless they absolutely loved it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can compare that too, because people say to me, oh, you work too much. You should go out and do more things. You should go experience the world. But yes, what I'm doing is hard work, but it doesn't feel like work to me because it's what I love spending my time doing. Uh, I would love to go to uh, Mount Charleston sometime and, or, or go out and walk around Red Rock Canyon. But when I think about the four or five hours that I would be investing into that activity between driving out there, getting out, coming back and all that, changing clothes, that is not more exciting to me than sitting in my studio creating something new. So it's work, but when it's a passion, it's not so much work. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And and you've seen success from that, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So- there's a payoff. And for you, as you see your students move on to new things and, and for them to grow their careers, I mean, that has just got to fill your heart with joy. Yeah, I'm very proud of all of my students, whether, you know, they decided to do something other than dance or um, we had a couple of students the last year we had the studio. Um, uh, they were scholarship recipients, um, you know, utilizing dance and those moments are, yeah, that it really makes staying at the studio until one in the morning. <laughs> sure. Well, and, and there's so many applications for dance, too, because it's not just the ballet and it's not just theater. There's movies, there's music videos, there's all kinds of applications for uh, where there's a need for dancers. And one of the, one thing that you did that I think was really interesting and I, I'd like to ask you about is you hosted a flash mob. Yeah, yeah. You're so casual about it. It's like just in the middle of nothing, people just started dancing. There was a whole event. I mean, that, that's that got to take a lot of work to put that together. 
it was a lot of work. But um, so what what ended up happening was um, National Dance Week. Um, they every every year they try to do something to bring awareness to dance and to get people up off the couch, off their phones, and just move right. Mm-hmm. So um, I was the Indiana representative for National Dance Week, and we decided as a studio that we were going to do the flash mob in um, Carmel. It was on the Monon, which is a little trail that goes from our little city of Carmel all the way down to downtown Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And we invited local businesses all along the Monon, so like the restaurants and um, little shops and um, small business owners. We invited them all to do it with us, so not just our own dancers. And it was a blast. It was so much fun. And we had people, it, that's a very heavily visited area on the weekends. So um, it's a biking trail, walking trail, and you just never know what kind of <laughs> pedestrian uh, traffic you're going to get through there. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and so we, we blasted the music, I mean, as loud as we possibly could. And... Um, we had people planted at the restaurants, on the trail, on bicycles, like all around. And then we all finally came together into one big group. And it was, it was just so much fun. Oh, that just sounds like a blast. And I love that there's, there's sort of, uh, even though it's planned, I love that there's seemingly spontaneous art in the world where you could just be, you know, I could walk through any of these hotels in Vegas at any time, and there could just be an event that just pops out of nowhere. And I believe magical madness has done that um probably uh i can imagine so it sounds like something anastasia would do (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure along the way (laughs) yeah Uh, and and i mean that with the the, the greatest of appreciation of course uh so when you guys uh, started working on the hunger games parody what was your role in that so um i I didn't have as much of a role because that's, I came into the picture shortly after that. Oh, okay. So I was there for the opening and, and promoting everything and putting it together. And, um, so yeah, I came, I kind of came in on the tail end of that, um, just as we were, as she was finishing that. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Well, yeah. certainly there's there's something about uh, a dancer that has a, a a different passion, I think, than other artists because it's so it, it's physical in a way that isn't like anything else. And is it something that would you say when you're dancing, you you just feel it sort of coursing through your body and that takes over, or is it really just like a a, a mental focus? Um. I think it's the progression. I believe it starts with the music. I mean, there's that saying that uh, dancers, oh gosh, what is it? Um, hear the dance, see the music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as a dancer, the music is going through your entire body and your physical expression of that even if it's learned choreography it is your interpretation it is you what you're bringing to the piece and so um yeah i just think it's a progression 
Well, that, that certainly makes sense because it's, you know, the reason that I don't understand dancing is because I don't understand the physical side of it. I mean, as a drummer, I understand, you know, being able to coordinate your limbs, doing different things that are in sync with each other, yet acting completely differently from each other. And I, I get that independence. But as a dancer, there's that's like times 10. And I, like I can watch a dancer and go, I can appreciate what you're doing. And I can tell that you're feeling it, like really feeling it. But I don't understand why you're doing anything that you're doing. Like the the reason that you moved your arm that way might be because you had to to stay in balance. And to me, I'm like, well, what are you trying to express with that? Because I don't understand uh, how it works. So what would you say to somebody like me uh, who who wants to have a, a better appreciation for dance but doesn't really understand it? Like, I mean, I appreciate it, but I don't I, I want to like I want to appreciate it on that level. Right. Well, I would say um, that the intention is always there, whether there's intention not just coming from the dancer performing on stage, there's an intention um, from the choreographer and what their vision is. And then it's the dancer's responsibility to emote and, and to tell that story through the movement. So even when someone's moving their arm, you know, to the right, and if it's helping them keep balance that's still part of the story mm-hmm. um and so for someone maybe that isn't familiar with it i would say you know find your own truth in it so if you're watching something um maybe not always try to figure out exactly what it is that they're trying to communicate and figure out why whatever they're doing how it speaks to you and what it means to you and how it applies Mm -hmm. and i think that that's when you really understand dance well it isn't like me to overthink things (laughs) (laughs) a very natural way but no i think that's a great answer I, i think you put that very well and i think that's the thing like i can appreciate it on the level of i know how much work went into it i know uh, how far they, they must have come to be able to do what I'm seeing them do. But just in the understanding of, of that, I think you're right. I think I should just like try and relax my brain a little bit and just enjoy what I'm seeing and not necessarily tr- because I, I tend to pick things apart so I can understand them. But I think sometimes we really don't need to do that. I think we just need to just shut up and enjoy it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if you look at a drummer, okay. And, there is so much coordination involved in that, you know, and, and the musicality and the timing. And I mean, I just, goodness, I can't even imagine because I I can't even play. I won't even go into it, but my parents hid my flutophone when I was in kindergarten, they wouldn't let me play it. um, (laughs) Oh, wow. That's, that's, I shouldn't be laughing at that. (laughs) It was really bad. So, you know, that all of that coordination and all of that skill you know, your muscle memory at some point takes over and you don't even think about it. Right. So when you're playing a song and you, you can put more into the song or the music because your muscle memory is taking over and it's no longer just about, you know, the steps or the individual notes. True. That's very true. And, and you're right. The muscle memory has a lot to do with it. Like I don't sit there and think about every single time I hit the hi-hat or the snare drum it's just you're in the rhythm and you just do it. 
you right. know, there has to be the brain controlling it somewhere. But with with uh, with dance, unless you're doing specifically an improv dance, there's really not a lot of room for improvisation, right? You have to be where you're supposed to be at the right time, because if you're not, it throws everybody else off. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So there's, that's what I meant earlier too, about the unity of, of dancers, because musicians, yeah, we have to be together, but it doesn't always have to be exactly flawless. And especially if you go back and listen to some of the recordings of the sixties and the seventies, they are not flawless today. That's all fixed with computers, but there's a real human stand to, to, uh, side to that. But with dancers, I mean, you guys really have to work on that unity and really paying attention to the cues from each other, knowing where you have to be and being there one way or another. Yes, yes. And, you know, pas de deux when you're a uh, female male working together mm-hmm. and partnership. I mean, if your partner drops you, you break your leg, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That is the one dance term I actually knew. Oh, all right. How that's, did you know that? One? So that's one, uh, because when I was uh, in the play that uh, Marcus Weiss directed, uh, uh, Still Dance the Stars, that was part of the uh, script. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah, that was a fun time. So if you were, uh, what kind of advice would you give to, say, maybe a, a parent or somebody who's really young and wants to get into the world of dance if like, let's say that they can't afford to get to a dance studio right now, like they're just not in a position to do it. What kind of things can they do to start developing their skills and and preparing as much as they can so that when they are able to join a studio, they can kind of hit the ground running? Oh, there's a lot of resources online and YouTube. Um, There are so many dance channels where dancers um, do daily free dance classes. And they're professional dancers, like from uh, the Houston Ballet or New York City Ballet. Um, And you can get online and grab, I would get like a dining room chair and just use the back of it to hold on to, um, like a ballet bar. You don't have to have one in your room. And, um, but I would say to anybody, just turn on some music and dance, you know? I mean, there are, doesn't have to be if they want formal training then there are classes online but i think it's important for everybody to get up and move and express themselves and appreciate music the way that um, you can only as a dancer i i had somebody tell me one time that because i can't understand dancing i i can't write music oh no i'm pretty sure i've done it Wow. Yeah, I was really? floored by that. I didn't even know how to respond. I'm like, I understand that I, I understand people moving to a beat. I don't understand what their movements are. Like, even if I were to, like, when I was on stage and I would watch people dancing, whether it was line dancing, if I was in a country band, or if it was, well, the mosh pit, I understood. But uh, if if I was playing pop music and they were just doing like regular, you know, the kind of dancing that people do, uh, I don't, I don't get the movement. I can understand that the mu- the music is moving them, but I don't understand what makes them feel to move this way or, or that way. And that's where I get lost with it. And she was like, yeah, then you can't write music. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm no. so glad you told me that I'm going to quit. Oh, gosh, I'm glad you didn't. Because then <laughs> we would... you. Wow. Well, you know, here's the thing, though, Scott, it, 
my opinion, it should be the opposite of that. I would think in theory, because without music, what are we going to dance to? Where's the story? Where's the inspiration? I mean, yeah, I I thought it was a very odd comment. And I, to this, and that was a couple of years ago. And to this day, every once in a while, I think about it. I'm like, but where did it start? It had to have started with rhythm. No matter what, everything started from rhythm. So before there was melody, there was rhythm. Before there was dance, there was rhythm. So it had to be from that core spot. And maybe it's because I'm a drummer that I feel that more. But to me, I just, I was like, I don't think I need to understand it. I can make music that makes people want to dance. That's maybe all it needs to be. Well, you make beautiful music and you you. make a lot of people happy. So um, whether or not you understand, uh, wow. Okay. Let me me tell you this really quick. So Concerto Baracco is um, a ballet. It was choreographed by uh, Balanchine and Bach. Okay. Um, okay. So when Bach did the music for the ballet, it is very specific to the movement in the ballet. And you can watch it and you can see, I mean, it's, um, the tempo is really fast in some places. And it's, you know, you can almost, it sounds very like you would want to choreograph to mm-hmm. the music. Okay. Okay. So the court of ballet, um, which are all the, um, I don't want to say extras, but they're the ones on the stage that are not being showcased. The okay. Support, they're supporting, the supporting cast. Yeah. Right. Well, they really shine during that time. Okay. This ballet is all about the core. And, not about a single dancer. And I, it's one of the reasons why I love this ballet, right? But if you listen to the music, it creates like architectural shapes and patterns in the music itself. Mm-hmm. And a choreographer would not be able to create that ballet. That would have never existed, you know? And, and it's a really important piece. And so... I just think the importance of music and, and the role that it plays. Um, I don't know if Bach absolutely understood ballet. Mm-hmm. My guess is probably not. Well, what what had there been before that? Because that was one of the first, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, that, oh, goodness. I'm sure that was early 1800s, maybe. Right. So when you think back to, to those guys, and I, and I always I always think of Bach as sort of the godfather of classical music because, it, and it's been a long time since I've studied classical composition, but uh, there really weren't a lot of people doing it before he came along. So there really weren't a lot of rules, a lot of standardization or anything. And at the same point, there wasn't anything to study. And learn from and go, okay, well, this is how you write music for a ballet and this is how you write music for an opera because there really wasn't much for him to study. Exactly. Right. So it would be understandable if it was a little bit rough or or as we look at it in our terms now, well, he could have done this and that would have helped enhance the dance and, and whatever. But if you really put yourself in, in that time frame, uh, he was pretty incredible. Oh, absolutely amazing. Yeah. I think the one that I'm most familiar with is probably the Nutcracker. And, and, you know, of course, this time of year, that's when people start listening to it again. But 
it's such an amazing piece. The the way that it's always presented with just the you know the elaborate costumes and the stage set and the dancers. It's it's probably to me the definitive uh, Christmas event. Well, you know, it's important and it, it keeps dance alive. And I think having that tradition of people that go every year and support um, the ballet and the arts and all the dancers, it's, it's really important. And, and it's a really neat thing to do and, and go out and, you know, here in Houston, I just moved to Texas. I haven't been, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I have yet to go to the Houston ballet and see a performance. Um, but that will definitely be on my list this year. <laughs> well, it's not like you have all kinds of free time. Well, yeah, <laughs> very true. Very true. But, yeah. you know, I, I'm glad that you say that because that's, it's very true. And I think families could, um, there's so much more than just the ballet. Um, there's a lot more in, in, involved and things to do. So, yeah, I, I hope that people go out this year and, um, maybe not even go to the large, um, like Houston Ballet or Indianapolis Ballet. Maybe they go to their local um, dance studio performance of the Nutcracker and right. buy tickets and go with their family. I think that would be great. Yeah, it, it would be nice to see theater getting supported from all levels. I mean, it's it's the the work that goes into it is the same, whether the the patron feels that the production value is there in a local theater versus a national theater. Well, of course they've got a different budget. They've got different uh, people that work on their stuff. They have people that have different levels of experience. So of course those are going to be more grandiose, but I would say, and having worked in some of the schools here with the kids that put on their shows, uh, I I'm blown away by what local theater can do. And that's not coming from somebody who lives in Las Vegas, where we have these extravagant shows on the strip. I'm talking about just regular schools. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, imagine uh, a couple hundred people in the audience, a very small auditorium, no bad seat in the house, right? Right. You can be up close. And um, if you've got kids with you and um, you need to get up and, and for five minutes and take them to the restroom, it's not a big deal. And you don't have to worry about parking and the crowd. I, I think it's, I think it's great on many different levels, but really convenient for families. Oh, absolutely. Well, I have one one last question that actually follows up on uh, the one I asked earlier. So, as as these kids are getting started, and some of them that are working on their own, like through YouTube and that. I mean, obviously, vet who you're watching. Make sure that you're watching somebody that isn't just saying that they're accredited, but actually like Google them, look at look them up and make sure that the person that you're learning from is teaching them proper techniques because I could make a video and then kids are going to end up injured or or whatever because I don't know what I'm doing. And anyone can do that. So obviously vet the people that you're looking for, but what are what are some ways that you can make sure or is there any way to validate um, that the techniques that you're using are not uh, or preventing you from f- developing bad habits? It's an excellent question. Um, I would say make sure that uh, the video that you're watching, they're just not doing anything radical, like radical stretching or especially for a beginner. I mean, there's just no reason for that. Um, but if it's affiliated with a dance studio, um, that's even better because they're on the line for that and their reputation. Um, so that's always a safe place to start. Um, 
but there really is no, there are no standards within the dance industry right now where people or studios have to abide by specific guidelines. Um, so that's, yeah, it's actually, it's why I'm working on the syllabus that I'm working on. And that's, you know, part of my project and I'd like to change that. Yeah. I think it's just too easy to, you know, do something in a way that maybe seems easier. And since you have no one there to correct you, you keep doing it this easy way. And then you find out years down the road, oh, well, now I have this injury because I was doing this wrong. And I would hate to see kids get into that because they picked you know, a video that really wasn't the right way to do things. And when I say the right way, uh, I mean, just as far as like preventing long-term injury, injury, doing things that are keeping you healthy as well as moving you forward as a dancer. So that's that's kind of the the reason that I asked that question. That's a great question. I mean, we have issues with that even with studio to studio. So, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> it's an ongoing issue. And I think um, if, if people use a little bit of common sense and they know what they can push their body to do um, reasonably, then they're probably going to be all right. But... Um, there's a difference between pain and discomfort. Discomfort's okay. It means you're, you're pushing yourself a little bit, but pain is, is not okay. Right. Yeah. And that's a very important distinction between the two. Very, very well said. Thank you. Well, Dusty, I can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your, your crazy schedule to come and talk to me on the show. And I, I think that you've given a lot of valuable and uh, inspiring information to our listeners. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Scott, and, and I really appreciate all the work that you do. Well, thank you. Same for you, and uh, and I look forward to seeing what you do next because you've always got some really great things in the works, and I think that you're one of those people that can really make a difference, and I'm glad that you're doing that. Thank you. You bet. You take care and come back and see us. All right. You too, Scott. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Well, I hope that you guys enjoyed my interview with Dusty as much as I did. She's such a fun and wonderful person and doing great things out there for the artistic community, both as uh, as a talent and as a teacher. Thank you guys for joining me once again for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Please remember to like, rate, put a star rating on there, um, review anything that you want, share, help uh, get the word out. I've, I've really appreciated everyone that's done that and uh, helped the show grow. And if you enjoy it, chances are you know someone who would as well. And I, I realize that's my guest. So thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful holiday season for those of you who celebrate, for those of you who don't have a wonderful season. And we'll see you guys on the next episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. <laughs>